You can go and have a seat. Welcome to the Capitol Church. I feel like um, I've, I'm, I'm just jam-packed with some good news here to start off. First, I always feel walking up here, um, it, it's always been an argument God and I have had that I don't have a different set of gifts in the local church so that when I'm on stage, uh, people are excited and standing and involved. It's like every time my role steps in at a church service, it's like people sit down, uh, slowly start to doze and, and bounce in and out of concentration. And, and I feel like um, if you came here every Sunday uh, and all I ever did was bore you and not say valuable things, I still think it would be worth your time to be here just because of the songs that we get to sing with the band that leads us. That, that's how I feel. And I even know what's coming after this, and, and I'm really excited about that. I know that uh, you could be in a lot of different places. Students, you have some classes you could be skipping. Um, other families around here. I know you have family you could be with. And so we, we understand you could be a lot of places other than here on this Sunday morning. And so we're just, we're just really glad to have you. Um, want you to know that uh, we hope the best for this coming week. Happy Thanksgiving week. Uh, hope that this is just filled with uh, being around people you love and, and family and friends. Hope it's a really joy-filled holiday for you. It's also uh, a week of uh, two unbeatens playing in the game coming uh, up this Saturday. So always, always a very exciting week. Uh, a lot of good news, a lot ahead, even this week, hopefully in your life and in your world, that's really positive. I, I've been told uh, on several occasions that I have some, some hot, hot takes uh, here, are, here are some that uh, I get some heat for. Uh, I think really cold days are better than really hot days. I, I, think, I think if you're going to measure them out to like cold versus hot, I think I probably would prefer at that point uh, like a hot day, but like really cold or really hot, I'm taking really cold. Um, I think cookies are an easy pass. Uh, like here in Thanksgiving, tray full of cookies, it's just not even, it's not even an interest to me. That, that's an easy pass. I think being home is a lot better than being out. Uh, I think even in the holiday season, I would just much prefer uh, to be at home, hanging out, uh, lights dim, Christmas tree on type of thing. I don't know if I'm talking about that too early for some of you, um, but I, I just prefer to be home. Here's a take I don't think is all that hot. I think, I think a lot of people would agree. Uh, this is maybe the best time of the year every year. I think people really look forward to this time of year. Um, and we have some exciting things to kind of lay before us, even in this year, for the very first time ever in the history of the Capitol Church, we are doing a Christmas Eve service. Uh, just so you know, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, uh, which helps us out a lot. And so we're just going to do a 10 a.m. service like we normally do all the way through December, uh, except for December 31st. We're not going to have a service that day, but for the very first time, Christmas Eve service right here in this room, 10 a.m., so you're, you're obviously all invited. Really looking forward to that. We're starting a new Christmas series starting in December. That's going to be four weeks. Really excited about that. You might even see a little bit of a new music set list, some new songs that we don't typically sing throughout the year. That kind of thing is going to be dropping, and so I feel like uh, Christmas around the Capitol Church is going to be a good time for you to be around if you're in the area. But before we get there, we have a couple things to talk about still in the series that we've been walking through for much of the fall. It has been a 10-week series 
This morning we're on week nine, so we only have really two major things to talk about here this morning and then again next week in a section of the Bible called Exodus. So if you have a Bible with you, either like a hard copy or a device, you can totally feel free to grab that, pull it out if you're interested in following along in that way and get to Exodus chapter 20, which is where we're going to spend uh, our time here this morning. If you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, uh, you can find Exodus really close to the front cover. It's actually the second book of the Bible. There's also a table of contents page really early, first couple pages of your Bible that can help you turn to specific page numbers. And we're going to be in uh, chapter 20, which just find a big, bold 20 somewhere, and, and you're probably going to be in the right place. Uh, w- one of the things uh, Shailen and I have really felt Uh, over the last two years that we've lived here in Columbus is like, this just feels like such an incredible place for us to live and for us to raise a family. Like, we don't have any plans on going anywhere from here. Like, we're here. Uh, It feels like, hopefully, until I die. Like, I want to be in this role for a long time, and then when it makes sense for me not to be in this role, uh, I want to just, like, slide out of this role and just keep kind of doing what I'm doing and helping the kingdom expand all kinds of different places. But we want to be here. And one of the things we found uh, is taking our young kids just into Ohio State athletic environments or even some upper Arlington athletic environments has been so fun for us. It feels like being here is such a blessing in raising our family. Uh, Brooks, who's uh, going to be four in January, he's been in swim lessons Uh, For the last year, his grandparents, Shaylin's parents, uh, got him a gift for his birthday. And that was like a year's worth of half an hour swim lessons once a week. And so Friday morning, we all go to his swim lessons uh, and we watch him. One of the things he's he's always saying now is pull, pull, kick. That's what he's he's learning, pull, pull, kick. Which, uh, to be fair, when it's always his turn to go... Uh, he gets kind of lazy on the kicks pretty, pretty quick. It's like he might start that way, and then he gets distracted, and then he's just pull-pulling, and he's not, he's not getting there. Sometimes doesn't like putting his face all the way in the water, but he's got the goggles, and so he should be all set. So we decided last week uh, Ohio State had a swimming and diving home meet here, uh, and one of the things you might not know is there's 37 varsity sports teams at Ohio State. The vast majority of those are free. And so I went on, found that there was going to be a swimming and diving event last week. And so we decided to take Brooks and Annie to this event. And uh, it was going to be an evening event. And so Brooks gets up from his nap and he's pretty groggy uh, and honestly not in a super great mood. And so I say to him, hey, get ready because we're going to take you somewhere special. And he's like, I don't want to go. And I was like, well, you don't even know what it is, and I'm pretty sure you are going to want to go. And so like, sit up, let's get some clothes on you, and we're going to go. And he says, I just want to keep sleeping. Uh, can you leave my room? And I was like, no, get up because we're going somewhere special. Like learn to have fun, learn to enjoy this. Uh, And so we get into the car and he's just very silent and upset that we're leaving home. Uh, We eventually get on campus and we walk into the venue and immediately like everything shifts because now he sees, hey, there are some other people who wear goggles. I've got goggles. And then it's like, wait, they're doing pull, pull kicks. And I, I know how to do pull, pull kicks. And we're eventually sitting there, and uh, I don't know if you've been, I would highly suggest it. Uh, they have this like springboard diving that's happening while people are swimming, and, and we're kind of sitting over near that side of this venue, and Brooks is like looking at that, and he turns to me and was like, I want you to teach me how to do that. And he's at a stage where he just thinks dad can do everything, and it's like, listen, buddy, I don't even attempt backflips on a trampoline 
Uh, I don't know how to do that, which was disappointing to him. And it's like, not only do I not know how, I wouldn't even know how to teach you if I did know how. But here's one of the things I feel often, and this was just really recent for me at home. It's like, at times, Brooks feels like I'm just trying to withhold and I'm stealing fun from him and I just want to lay down, quit trying to get me up faster than I want to get up. And I'm trying to say to him, no, 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 I'm trying to actually bring you to something that you're going to love. I'm trying to actually lead you into something better and you're just resisting this because you don't know what's coming. Here's a conversation that we've had several times here at the Capitol Church. Every single time, there's a commandment from God in the Bible. Every single time, it's not God withholding and trying to kill fun in your life. Every time there's a commandment, he's trying to draw you into something better, whether you can see that, feel that, or not. And I think whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this might seem controversial, which I don't think it is, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not and you walk in here, if you gave your life to just the commandments of God, those are designed to actually lead you into a better life. Like whether you give your life to Jesus or not, like sliding into the ethic of God when it comes to life is actually better for you. And I think often that, like, God, because of what he's done for humanity, my belief is he's actually earned the right to just demand allegiance and obedience from humanity, and he doesn't even do that. Like, I think he could, but he doesn't. Just out of the kindness and love of God, he looks at humanity and says, hey, this way to something better. Like, I could just command you to do stuff, but I'm not even going to do that. This way is better. The reason I want to set the table with the commands of God is because where I want to bring you in this story of Exodus is one of the most famous set of commands that's ever been given. Historically, they've been called the Ten Commandments. And I want to read this section for you because I believe that God has some things for this room. I really think God has some things for this room, regardless of who you are and how you walk in here this morning, whatever your belief system is coming in, whether you think this is a joke, it's believable, it's not believable, I think there's something in here for you. I want to get eyes on what the Ten Commandments say and why those can be valuable to to know and to actually step into. And so Exodus 20 uh, is going to be the best place for us to be. Let me just catch us up a little bit in the story. Just a couple sentences about where we've been. Through a series of events, over 20 chapters, God enters into the story of one family called the Israelites, and he draws them from slavery in Egypt out and now into a rural area. And this entire family of millions of people has only ever in their lifetime lived in Egypt. And so they're just following God through this like pillar of fire and cloud. And it brings them into a rural area. And so for two months at this point, they've left Egypt. And for two months, they've just been wandering around, not sure where they're going, not sure what it means. And ultimately, God very clearly directs them to the base of a mountain called Sinai. And what's going on in this mountain is terrifying. It's a wild scene. This entire mountain is covered in fire and smoke that's billowing up from the surface of the mountain all the way into the sky. There's thunder and lightning going on all around this mountain, and it's, it's literally shaking. And God brings these people to the base of this mountain, and understandably, they're terrified. In fact, they actually go to their leader, a guy named Moses, and they're like, hey, uh, we're afraid of this mountain. We're afraid to even engage with God because his power is insane. And so why don't you go talk to him and then come tell us what he says? 
So they're at the base of this mountain, and very famously, Moses is going to walk into that smoke, thunder, lightning. He's going to walk all into there, have a conversation with God. He's going to come out with what has historically been called the Ten Commandments. Let me read for you 21 verses, a little chunk of the Bible here this morning. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. Let me read several verses. Here, here's what it says. Then God gave the people all of these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am your God. I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Verse 7, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days each uh, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land your Lord is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So, so he finishes those commands, and here's how we wrap up this story. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us, and, and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us, or we'll die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. So, so here's the scene. This immediately makes me think of my middle school experience, uh, where like, you were never going to go talk to a girl about your feelings for her. You were going to get the boys to go talk to the girls, and then you're going to communicate that way. This is, the, this is the situation. Like, millions of people are like, I don't know. I'm afraid. I'm intimidated. Uh, God seems to be pretty scary. And so, Moses, why don't you go talk to him and then report back on what he has to say? Because they're afraid, as they look at the power of God, that him just directly speaking to them, they're afraid that's going to kill them. And so they're like, hey, how about you go on our behalf talk to him, and then come back down out of the mountain and then tell us what he has to say. And these are the Ten Commandments he lays before them. Now, a couple things to say about this section 
of the Bible. First, a pattern starts here on these pages that's going to continue for the rest of the Bible, and that is that every single time God gives commands, he's drawing people into something better. He's not being withholding. He isn't trying to eliminate fun and full life as much as it may feel that way. And again, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think submission to the commands of God, they're they're only given because they're good for you, because they're good for your family, because they're good for your community, because they're good for our world. Like, God doesn't need us to follow the Ten Commandments for his good. He gives them for our good. And these commands are really arranged in in two different ways. Sections. The first four kind of talk about humanity's relationship with God. Like there's commands that matter on a vertical level. And then the next six are all about humanity's relationship with other humans. And so there's commands that are vertical and there's commands that are horizontal. And so God just kindly looks at humanity and says, Okay, I've infinitely, infinitely love you, intimately created you. This is the pathway to life. This is the drawing, the roadmap to something better. Here are the Ten Commands. And so first, I just want to like look at them. Like, why are these better? If we believe that every command of God is to draw humanity into something better, how do all of these commands fall into that line? I want us to get some eyes on why this is better. Command one is in verse three. You must not have any other God but me. And maybe at first glance, this feels like egotistical, narcissistic God who, who's jealous and can't have, you know, your, your, your affection and love in two different directions. Like somehow he's a spouse and needs the full attention of everybody to just stoke his own ego. And again, I say, God is not calling people to worship him alone because he needs that from you. He's actually doing this because it's better for you. Now, a conversation we've had as we've walked through this book, we had this even when it related to the plagues, is God is kindly saying, I am a God that's better for you to follow because I want for you, not from you. In this day and age, not only in 2023, but when this was happening and this book was written, all of the other gods worshipped by people wanted from. They wanted a level of performance. You wanted to get something out of a relationship with that kind of God, you better behave the way they commanded. You better perform well. You better earn some love and affection. And if you don't, you're not going to get an outcome. And so God's saying, listen, Every God on the buffet table here wants from you. And there's not a more exhausting life, discouraging, a a life that's going to lead to more burnout than trying to wake up and perform and earn love and affection every day in your life. We don't even want this in human relationships. Like, think about how unhealthy your life and relationship would be with other humans if you felt like every single day you had to wake up and earn it because it's on the table if you're going to have love and affection or not. If you're going to be cared for or not, you have to measure everything. You have to evaluate everything. You can't relax because everything could be gone in a moment. And so God just kindly, graciously says, I am not a God that needs performance I'm not a God that just wants from you. I'm a God who has for you. Like if I am your God, I'm the one who intimately created you, knows your soul, knows what to lead you into, knows what to protect you from. 
knows what road to put you on because it's going to create this type of outcome which is going to relate, relate to this in your life, like a God who's infinitely powerful, infinitely in control. And, and he's saying, man, if you worship other gods, it's just going to hurt you. It's just going to hurt you. It's going to affect your lifestyle. That's command number one, like, like, let me be God because that's good for you, not because he needs one more chalked up to worshiping him. Command one, you must not have any other God before me. He is the God that's infinitely powerful, infinitely present, infinitely loving, kind, and gracious to humanity. And so he's saying, just let me be your God because of you, because that's best for you. And command two comes in verse four. Here's what he says. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. And again, this might come across as like, why does God need this? And my answer is he doesn't. He doesn't need it. But what happens to humanity when you ascribe God-like power to things that don't have God-like power is it actually hurts you. It hurts you to worship something that's not God. It hurts you to put your identity, satisfaction, contentment, happiness, joy, all on a God that can't sustain that. Like for them, who he's talking to here, they would make images and they would carve all these like wooden and stone and metal things and they would just ascribe God-like things to them, but that's always going to fall short. And it's likely that you don't come in here like going home and worshiping that kind of an idol. What it is likely is that you are naturally worshiping things that you can have or achieve in your life. Like I think that's where it hits for us. And if you're going to be somebody who ascribes God-like power to things that are not God, it's only going to let you down and hurt you. And so God says, I want to protect you from that. You want to put your identity in your career? What happens when you don't get the promotion? What happens when somebody's better? Then it tears down who you are. Now you're not as valuable. Now you don't bring as much to the table. What if you put all this identity and security in how you look? Well, then every room you have to be in to have dignity, value, and worth, you've got to be the most attractive. You've got to be the best at what you do. You can never just rest and relax in who you've been created to be when you constantly have to earn something. I think when we look at idols, like let's try and remove some of these idols that maybe we've seen, like a golden calf, which we're going to talk about next week, or, or something that you create and then worship. Like some of us feel like, no, no, that's ridiculous. So let's just worship our careers. Let's worship our kids' success. Let's just worship how we look. Let's just worship financial success. Let's worship relationships and ascribe God-like power to things that don't have God. And so God kindly and graciously is saying, listen, don't put idols on the table because they are going to not make it. And it's going to hurt you when everything comes crashing down, when they're exposed to not have the God-like power you want them to have. And so it graciously says, let me be God. Don't worship that. That's going to hurt you. But at the hands of God is identity, is satisfaction, is a trust that you can just like rest in. It's a security. You don't have to look in the mirror and wonder who's going to value you and who's going to love you. I had the opportunity to sit in 
uh, last week, like a, a chapel before a football game, and uh, hear kind of a conversation, and somebody pulled me aside after and said, hey, what do you think you would say to that room before that kind of football game? And I said, you know what I would say? Regardless of how you perform, there is somebody who loves you. There is somebody who saw so much value and worth in you that they were willing to lay it all down. Like whether you are, are you know, hitting assignments, whether you're missing plays, whether uh, people are commenting after the game about how awful you are and how, you know, poor your performance was and how little value you have, regardless of what happens here. There is an identity that could be handed to you that would never be taken away. And it's not you're awesome at football and you have a certified Instagram account. It's that you can be called child by a king. You can be called child by God. This is what's offered. And so God kindly is just saying, hey, man, don't ascribe God-like power to things that are not God. That's going to hurt you. It's command number two and command number three is in verse seven. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse the name. Now, this is not a call to never say the phrase, oh my God, or like you're done. That, that's not the call. This is to misuse the name of God by attaching God's name to places it doesn't belong. In other words, doing what you want or saying what you want under the guise of God's name. Like, this is textbook spiritual abuse. Maybe you've heard the category of church hurt. A lot of this would come from, from, from this kind of passage. Like, it would be possible for me to, under the guise of God's name and a relationship with God, put some things on the table that don't uh, relate to who God really is. It's not what God's really saying. That's how people get hurt. And so we don't have an opportunity to say things like, God told me this, God wants me to do this, God feels this way or that way, God's like this or that, unless the clarity of what you're saying is also found in the Bible. We can't just say, hey, God told me to tell you this. That's how people get hurt. For somebody with spiritual authority under the name of God, putting expectations on you or trying to manipulate you in different directions under this spirituality, one of the things Jesus hated and rebelled against constantly was all of this expectations of religious people under the name of God being put on humanity that didn't exist. Perform, and then he'll love you. That's a misuse of the name of God because that's not the character of God. That's not what the Bible has to say. That's not what God wants for you. We would all know this, that if we're hearing conversations and somebody on our behalf is saying things or representing our position in a way that's unfair, that would bother us. It would bother me. Somebody in our organization or in this room goes to a different place and, and is misrepresenting how I feel or something I've said. Certainly we've all had that experience. And so God is saying, don't attach my name to things that I didn't say. Don't attach my name to a character I don't have. James, the book in your Bible, even speaks that teachers of the Bible are judged more strictly. That you be, better be very careful on what you say God says. Because if you're wrong, there's a high judgment for those who attach the name of God to places it doesn't belong. Why? Because it hurts people. 
it hurts humanity when you misrepresent God. And so he's saying, don't do it. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't misuse this name. Don't attach it to places it doesn't belong. That is command three. And command four is verse eight. Here's what it says. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This one might be the most obvious, like God just wants for you. Uh, We were not created as humanity to be full gas 24-7. That's how you get unhealthy. That's how relationships are broken down. And hear me on this caveat to it is I understand there are seasons of life. There are seasons of career or school that are sprint seasons. And maybe you can't maintain that for a long time, but for this season, it makes sense for you to be sprinting. But there are other seasons that it makes sense maybe for you to jog and then walk and lay down. We're created to have rhythm and longevity. And so God is saying, you ought to have built-in patterns of refreshment, built-in patterns of rest. Why? Because that's best for you. One of the best books I ever read was from a pastor named John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, And he says this, I think it's so insightful when it comes to rest. He says, hurry kills relationships. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. It kills joy, gratitude, appreciation. People in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of the moment. It kills wisdom. Wisdom is born in the quiet, the slow. Wisdom has its own pace and makes you wait for it. Hurry is a violence on your soul. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart. And so the antidote to a burnt-out, life-stealing way of living is to build in patterns of refreshment of your soul, doing what leads you to life, doing what re-energizes and recharges you to be what you need to be. And here, I'm not using the word relax. I have two young kids. Relax is not my season of life right now, but I can still rest in this season. I can still do things that bring my soul refreshment. Even when I'm at this Ohio State swimming event, It's like, even when I'm doing something that has refreshment in my soul, like we just love doing that kind of thing as a family. It's still like, Annie's got a doll, she's hanging over the edge. They've got veggie straws that are spilling everywhere and sprinkling down onto the swimmers. Even in that, I'm like, I'm not even relaxing. It's like constantly, I have to be like, no, don't do that. I can't do that. Put Bubba back in the bag, put the doll away. It's like I'm constantly in evaluation. Understand the difference between rest and relax. Building in patterns that lead you to life, refreshment, re-energized to be who you need to be. This is for you. This is for me. Kindly and graciously, God's commanding what's best for us. This is the first four. What God has for humanity, leading them into something better. I just want to get our eyes even quickly on why this vertical relationship of commands is actually better. Because the next six, I think you can quickly understand why this would be better for you and our neighborhoods, community, and world. Here's the next six, just in a list. Honor your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's things. 
Like, you can quickly get eyes on why living in accordance to these commands would be better for you and it'd be better for everybody else, and why you would want somebody to live to these commands next to you. Like, like wouldn't you want a world? Wouldn't you want a city where there was healthy families that enjoyed each other, wanted to be with each other, respected and honored each other? Wouldn't you want to be in a world where you never had to fear for your life because there's no murder? Wouldn't you want to live in a world where sexual fidelity is all there was? Like, you don't even have to question or wonder if somebody's going to be unfaithful. You don't have to question and wonder if you're going to be abused. Because everybody's just submitting to the ethic of God when it comes to sexuality. Imagine a world where there was no stealing. Like, you didn't have to protect anything. I mean, I, we, we walked around a mall as a family this week. Literally, I think employees only exist to keep people from stealing. Like, you lock your car, you lock your doors at night. Why? Because you're unsure what the world is going to do, who's going to be around and what they're going to do. You're unsure if you're going to walk in to a mass shooting. You're unsure of how you're going to be treated. But what if we lived in a world where you never had to worry about somebody taking something that was yours? Whether that was emotionally, physically, or some material thing. Imagine a world where nobody lied about you where you could just freely say what was honest and not be judged, but be loved and accepted for who you are. Imagine a world where you were so content with what you had and everybody else was so content with what they had. It's like, man, these are the commands of God for humanity because they're good for you, because they're good for me. This is the neighborhood we want to live in. This is the city we want to live in. This is the spouse that we want to have. Somebody who just sees the world with infinite dignity, value, and worth. Every human being, intimately created by God, infinitely loved by God. And every time you break one of these commandments that are on a horizontal level, you are breaking the dignity, value, and worth that God has supremely put on another human being. You are saying the intimacy of how God has created somebody and the intimacy that he loves them is not important enough for me to just let them have their things. I'm going to steal. I'm going to hurt. I'm going to covet. I'm going to desire. I'm going to not be content. This is how you get unhealthy. So you wonder the commandments of God. In fact, if you keep reading in Exodus, it's like they're only going to expand. There's 613 commands just in the book of Exodus. That's not including the over 1,000 that will come on the pages ahead. They're not given for you to just try really hard to get there and then judge everybody else. They're not given for you to perform. They're given for a pathway to life, this way to something better. This is the first reason God gives these famously the Ten Commandments. He's not withholding, he's not eliminating being fun, he's not trying to pull you from full life. He's just saying, here's good news, this way to something better. And there's more good news. These commands were given certainly for people to have a roadmap to full life. And one of the things you're going to find if you continue to read this story is that humanity is pretty awful at living into these commands well. If you have young kids, it's like I could take you in the last week to several occasions my one-year-old broke the Ten Commandments. 
It's like we just live in like covet city in our house. It's like you have that toy, now I want it. I can't tell you how many times I've said, you didn't want that five seconds ago. And now you want it because somebody else has it. She's one. You go all the way back to the earliest stages of your life, and what you're going to find is humanity is consistently commandment breakers. Consistent. I mean, read the story. They get new laws, they break them. So they get more laws, they break them. Really famous people in the Bible, books are named after them, break them. Do awful things to awful people, do awful things to good people. It's a book about awful people. And that's good news for us because we sit in a room full of commandment breakers. And so I want to get your eyes on one more thing the Bible has to say. For us to understand it, it was going to be really helpful for us to get eyes on what the Ten Commandments have to say. I want, I want to read something from a book called Romans, which if you're interested in getting there, you totally can. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses for us much closer to the back cover of your Bible. The book of Romans, some have said, is the most important letter that has ever been written in humanity. You've got one guy who writes a letter to a group of people in one of the most prominent cities in the world just so they could get their eyes on Jesus and what that means for humanity. And he's going to write in part of this letter about the Ten Commandments and some argumentation that he's coming from that I think is universally incredible news. I think the best sentences in all of the Bible I'm about to read for you. Here's what Romans 3, starting in verse 19, has to say. Obviously, this guy says to a group of people, the law, meaning the Ten Commandments and all of these commandments that are going to follow. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one can be made right with God by being awesome at the Ten Commandments. The law simply shows how sinful we are. Here's the clarity. God graciously gives commandments to his people because he wants to draw them into something better and also he wants to take off the table any excuse you have of why you could possibly be anything but guilty before him. Like he gives the Ten Commandments so that you would see yourself as a commandment breaker. Like, let's just call it what it is, commandment breakers from the earliest stages of our life to this week, commandment breakers. Like, you want to play this game of, am I good enough? Am I good enough to, to, to like, have God's love and acceptance? You want to play this game of, have I performed well enough at the moment of my death to be welcomed into heaven? You want to play this game. That's a subjective moving line based upon your season of life and who you see around you. You want to play this game. God's saying, no, no, let, let, let me answer the question. Are you good enough to be loved and accepted by God? No. Are you good enough to be welcomed into heaven? No shot. That's how he starts this passage. Let me keep reading. Verse 21. But now... God has shown us a way to be made right with him. 
without keeping the requirements of the law. He's actually exposed to humanity, a way to be made right with him that has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments and performing. As promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God. How? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for anyone who believes no matter who we are. I'm, not, I'm just reading. That, that's what the book says. This is what God has for us. The one who handed us the law and says, this way to something better. He also said, and you're not even going to do that super well. So guess what? Our relationship is not going to be dependent on how well you do the Ten Commandments and how well you perform. Because that's not going to be well. You're a commandment breaker. Instead, he's created a different way for us to be made right, and it's through faith in Jesus. Like, this is huge. Maybe the most important couple sentences in all of the Bible because, of course, you can't measure yourself up to perfection and come to the conclusion that you're righteous. You can't measure yourself up to every commandment God has ever given and then come to the conclusion that you're righteous before him. Maybe more righteous than the person next to you, very subjectively from what you can see, and to no win. You can't measure yourself up to perfection. You can't be made right through the Ten Commandments. But fortunately, he's created a pathway, and he keeps making these comments. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. Let me, let me say this. He declares that we're righteous, not even that we're innocent. Like God is saying to commandment breakers, there's a way not just for you to be innocent of your crimes, but for you to actually be looked at like you've crushed it your whole life. You're not going from guilty to innocent. You're going from guilty to righteous. That's insane. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. This is as simple and pointed as it gets. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. A conversation we've had so often is like, why can't God just say, hey, you're forgiven, let's pretend it didn't happen? Why can't God's character just simply be, hey, here's love and graciousness and forgiveness, we can just pass it out and pretend it didn't happen? Why did Jesus have to die? This is why he had to die. Because God can't punish Jesus for his sins and your sins. Jesus has to be perfect. He has to be the only one who's not a lawbreaker. He has to crush every single day of his life. And now God can be fair and just when he pours his wrath out on him instead of you. Like a conversation we've had is God cannot withhold his wrath for sin. Like somebody has to pay for it. And so here steps 
Jesus. He's the perfect sacrifice so that now you can be looked at as the righteousness of Jesus. This news is insane. It's insane. And this is what the Ten Commandments give us. Like, not a crusty list for people to just try their best at. Like, why were they given? They were given to try and draw humanity into a better way of living. And they were also given so that you would come to the conclusion that you've broken the law and need Jesus. Like, let me just put the cards on the table. What am I up to this morning, and what are we up to as a church? We want this for you. You stepping into the righteousness of Jesus before God. We want that for you. Like, that doesn't help our organization. Like, it's not this ulterior motive. Like, we just want that for you. And I don't think there's a clearer place to talk about this than the Ten Commandments that were literally given so that you could be drawn into life here on earth and life eternal. Are you good enough? No. Thankfully, Jesus was. That's why we worship him continually. And I'll I'll close with this. I think the Ten Commandments given in the storyline even really help us understand what God's up to. Something we've said through this series is Exodus is ultimately a story about a road to rescue. And one of the things we've said is, yeah, this happened thousands of years ago, but this could be your story too. Like from slavery to freedom. From bondage to life. Like this could be your story. And I think when the Ten Commandments are given is so interesting because they weren't given so that the Israelites could perform and make their way out of Egypt through the obedience of the Ten Commandments. Like God doesn't say, hey, you're in slavery. I've got an idea. Follow the Ten Commandments and then you'll be out of slavery all of a sudden. It's like, no, no, no. How the story unfolds, God brings people from slavery into freedom and then gives them a better way of living. Even the structure of when the Ten Commandments are given shouldn't cause us to come to conclusions that I've got to perform and live unto them to somehow be good enough. Like it just doesn't follow the story and very clearly this is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Lawbreakers, all of us, graciously handed the righteousness of Jesus to just take if you want it. And we want it for you. Here steps Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I understand that in a room like this, there's, man, so many different stories and backgrounds and perspectives that can just lead us all over the place, especially as it relates to, like, rules and regulations in the Bible. I know that it'd be easy to come into a room like this and feel like what what church is designed to do is just heap on us a way of living that's going to make us feel guilty and that we can't live up to because that's what's in the Bible. I hope what you do here in this room right now is you just give all of us eyes to see ourselves as unrighteous, the oxymoron of a follower of Jesus who's self-righteous. God, give our eyes For those of you who have yet to just like say yes to the gift, say yes to the righteousness of Jesus eternally, say yes to be made right with you, would you do that in this room? And for those of us that have said yes and now walk imperfectly, would you allow us to be the kinds of people 
that don't continue to fall into a trap of performance for love and affection, but we just step forward in a loving relationship, trying to step into what you have for us. God, would you be gracious and kind to us in this moment? For all the followers of Jesus in the room, would you make us really comfortable with conclusions that we're unrighteous, that we are lawbreakers? Would you make us comfortable being honest and open about how we don't measure up because that makes you look good. It makes you look better. It makes Jesus worthy of worship. Would you make that our story in this room? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.